Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to session number 10 of our series called The Appointed Times. And uh, let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for this series. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the Word that reveals the Messiah. Even before the Messiah was born in the flesh, uh, your Word was revealing His true identity and purpose. So, Father, tonight, as we've asked in every session, open our minds to understand the Scriptures, that we might know you, the one true God, and Jesus, whom you have sent. And knowing you, we'll be prepared for whatever is about to come. In Jesus' name, amen. We've covered the Sabbath, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks to Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Tabernacles, and the Eighth Day, and Hanukkah. Hanukkah and the next three feasts, they all came after Leviticus. So they are like a separate group, but they are still celebrated by the Jewish people. Um, they are the Feast of Dedication, or, which is Hanukkah. Tonight's topic, Purim, or Lot's. And the ninth of Av, or Tishbeav, which will be next Wednesdays. Tonight we're going to cover the Feast of Lots. I'm going to refer to it as Purim. The Feast of Purim finds its origin in the book of Esther. If the Feast of Hanukkah, last week's topic, was the celebration of the purification and rededication of the Jerusalem temple, it had been defiled by Antiochus Epiphanes, and they, they purified it and rededicated, and the light of God's presence came back to the temple. If that was Hanukkah, and that came way after Leviticus, okay? This is a, a newer version of the celebrations. Then the Feast of Purim is a celebration of the preservation of the Jewish people. So you're going to hear me ask this several times tonight, and man... Is it ever timely? What you're going to find out about this Feast of Purim is this. Will the Jewish people survive? Will they survive? Because in the whole celebration of Purim is God's promise that he will protect the Jewish people and not allow them to be annihilated. And what's happening in the Middle East right now? You can make this storyline up. It all seems to be following the same set of script that we're working under. Will the Jewish people survive? This feast or this appointed time of Purim falls in, in the calendar between February and March. It varies and is based on the events of Queen Esther and Mordecai, which occurred during the reign of the Persian Empire around 486 B.C. Now, that's a hundred years, 486 B.C. That's about a hundred years after the fall of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar, which they were scattered for, what, 70 years at least. This is around the same time that many of the Jews, so when we get to tonight's topic, this is about the same time that many of the Jews were returning to Jerusalem. They've been exiled, and it's generational. It's 70 years so, you know, unless you were a little kid, you know, you're, you didn't make it back. So these, these has to be, it has to be like the next generation of younger people coming up and they're going to, they're going to start going back to Jerusalem. And you wonder if they even know why they're going back to Jerusalem. So they're starting to return in the time of Nehemiah. And this is, let me give you some world history. This is just before the reign of Alexander the Great rule uh, ended and the Persian rule uh, ended the Persian rule. So you got Babylon, you've got Medo-Persia, and then you've got Greece, Alexander the Great. So right before Alexander the Great comes into the world scene is where this storyline picks up tonight. The word Purim means lots and refers to the lot that Haman cast to decide the appointed time or the day for the destruction of the Jewish people. Now, I know it just sounds crazy me even read that. There's a guy named Haman in this story who 
who threw dice. I mean, it's the same kind of idea that he pitches a random instrument to decide the day, literally, to issue an edict to kill every Jew in the Persian Empire. To have them executed. All of them. Why? Because they're Jewish. Will the Jewish people survive? So let's go to Esther 3.7. So in the month of April, during the 12th year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim to determine the best day and month to take action. What's the action? To issue the edict to, ex to exterminate all the Jews in Persia. And the day selected was March 7th, nearly a year later. Haman used lots, like random roll of the dice, to determine the appointed time that the Jews would be executed in the kingdom of Persia. And by the way, the Persia is what? It's the Medo-Persian Empire. It's the chest of silver in Daniel's dream. It's the second kingdom after Babylon. And here's the deal. They, they, they're the world power. They, you, there's not another nation you're going to go to for help. They are, they're it. They're the superpower. Haman had no idea as he's doing this. He has no idea that Queen Esther, the queen, uh, the wife of Xerxes, he has no idea that Queen Esther is Jewish. This story would be very different if he knew that. And neither did King Xerxes. So they don't have any idea that Esther's a Jewish girl. They had hidden uh, Mordecai, and Esther, the two Jews in the story, had hidden their heritage because of the anti-Semitism of that day. Now, all of you know what anti-Semitism is, right? Anti-Semitism is the common word today for people who hate Jews. And you might wonder, why Semitism? Semite. That word Semite comes from the word Shem. The, Abraham and the Jewish people came from Shem one of Abraham's sons. That's where Semite comes from. So if you're an anti-Semite, you hate Jewish people, you hate that particular branch of the tree that came from Shem to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to sons. That's, that's where the word comes from. Remember, these things are happening. It's the Persian Empire in Susa. Susa is the capital city of the Persian Empire. That's what we're going to be reading. Near the same time that Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem, many of the Jews from Babylon and Persia are returning to Jerusalem, but not all of them are returning. <clears throat> the 70 years of Babylonian captivity had been completed, and the Jews were migrating back to Jerusalem. So there's this... Um, when King Darius comes, or Cyrus, not Darius, when Cyrus comes, he issues this decree, and the Jews start, they start coming back, okay? Why are they coming back? Well, Jeremiah 29, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you back home again. Why are they coming back home? Many of them don't know. They don't know. Maybe they don't think it's safe to be there. So they, they go back to Jerusalem because you got more Jews there. They're more, you know, it seems to be safer. I can tell you that's why they're coming back to Israel now. Because it seems to be, you know, World War II said it's not safe to be in Poland and Germany. And I'll just tell you today, 2023, it's not safe for Jews to be in a lot of places. And they're going to be, they're, this is causing many of them to, right now, right now. You think, well, why would they go to Israel? There's a war. There's a war everywhere if you're Jewish. And we're going to get into that tonight. And I'll ask the question for the third time, will the Jewish people survive? I will bring you home again. This is God speaking. 
For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. They are to give you a future and a hope. And in those days, when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will end your captivity. There's that 70 years of exile. And I will restore your fortunes. I'm going to prosper you as individuals and as a people. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Okay? Now, that's the context of the book of Esther. They're starting to come back. God's bringing them back. But many of the Jews decided not to return to Jerusalem. Thus, the story of Mordecai and Esther in Susa, which is modern-day what? Iran. Remember last week's discussion about the prince of Persia and Michael, the spirit prince of Israel? What, is the, what, what took so long for Gabriel to come to Daniel? He was, he was in a battle with the spirit prince of Persia. Where is Susa? Susa is in Persia. Where is that today? It's Iran. So who do you think's pushing Hamas today? Iran. The spirit power is real, even today. God was going to protect and restore the Jewish people after the exile. That was what I just read to you from Jeremiah. He's going he's to protect and restore them. He's going to bring them back, protect them, and restore them. But there's a spirit war taking place then and today, a war against the Jewish people. And the question then and the question today hasn't changed from a spiritual perspective. Will the Jewish people be able to survive? 100 years before During the time of Daniel and his three Jewish friends and Babylon's King Nebuchadnezzar, the hatred of the Jewish people is recorded. What I want to do is this. Before we actually show you um, Esther and Purim, I need for you to see that that was not an isolated event. It 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 was already happening. So let's go back to Daniel. Let's back up about 100 years. And Daniel 3, 8. Or what are we looking for? What is this natural hatred to the Jews? And why? Why do they hate them? Daniel 3.8. Some of the astrologers went to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and informed on the Jews. Did you see that? They informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews. Do you see it? There are some Jews. They hate them. They hate them. Why not just leave them alone? You know, who cares what the Jews do? But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. Now, do you think the Babylonians like that? That there's Jews inside their government over top of them in positions of authority, living under the blessing of God? They don't like it. There's some Jews This is anti-Semitism at its root. They pay no attention to you. Who? The Jews. Your majesty. Now it's getting physical. They refuse to serve your gods and they do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Why? Why don't they? Because they can't. Because they're Jewish. You shall have no other gods before me. It's the law. They can't. So they would violate their law. This event is followed up years later with Daniel in the lion's den. But many people don't realize that Daniel in the lion's den happened in the time of the Persian Empire, after the fall of the Babylonian kingdom. So most people think of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Menegal at the same time. No, this is years later. 
This is after Babylon, because this battle with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's Nebuchadnezzar. This battle with Daniel, it's Darius. He's the king of Persia. It's a different kingdom, right? He's, but now we're in the Persian kingdom. Um, but the anti-Semitism against the Jewish people, it hasn't changed. Even though Babylon's gone and Persia has arrived, you know what transferred? Anti-Semitism. They still hate the Jewish people. And, and notice something else. The Jewish people are still, by virtue of God's blessing and favor, elevated to the high positions in the government. If they're so hated, how do they get up toward the top? Unless God's doing it. Unless God's doing it. Who put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up toward the top? God was doing it. Who's putting Daniel up toward the top? God's doing it. Except in this case, when we get to Daniel, the king, Darius, he likes Daniel. And if you read the story, he actually likes him. Now, the people around Darius hate him. They hate Daniel. But the king actually kind of, you know why he likes Daniel? Because Daniel's good at everything Daniel does. He's a good guy to have around because he's excellent at what he does. He's trustworthy. So let's read the Daniel story. Where's this anti-Semitism? Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom, the Persian kingdom, into 120 provinces. He appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over what? The entire Persian Empire. Now, now you got to get this. Why is that so significant? That same thing happened in Babylon. Do you know that? This is the second world kingdom that Daniel is about to now be put as the number two under the king. Now, how do you think the Persians are going to like that? Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. Why would they care? They don't like him. He's Jewish. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or, or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Don't you hate it when you get those kind of people in government? You can't, hardly get, you can't do anything with them. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. It'll have to be what they did to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You'll have to try to come and get between them and their God. If you can get between them and their God, you can catch them. So I want you to notice that the hatred of the Jewish people travels from the Babylon, the head of gold, to Persia, the chest of silver. The first two Gentile kingdoms in Daniel's dream, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So the question that they all ask is, how do we stop the Jews? Daniel and his friends both face an irrevocable decree of the king of that time. Bow to the earthly king or die. Now, Daniel, what did he do? I didn't read the whole story. What did he do? He, he wasn't supposed to pray, and yet he, he went to his room, and he bowed facing Jerusalem, and he prayed. And they caught him. And the decree was irrevocable just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What's the problem? They wanted Daniel to bow to um, Darius. They wanted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow to the golden statue. Both would be wrong for a follower of God, right? It, it's, it's idolatry. It's the first and second of the Ten Commandments. So they don't want to do it. Um, but it's an irrevocable decree in both cases. Do you know what that means? The king can't just say, I've changed my mind. 
because their laws didn't allow you to change your mind. Once the decree was sealed, you had to carry it out. So I give you all of that background tonight to connect the dots with Queen Esther and Mordecai in Susa, which is Iran, many years after Daniel, many years. But you see what's happening? There's this anti-Semitism in every one of these kingdoms. Um, now let me introduce a guy named Haman. Haman will convince King Xerxes to also do what the other two kings did. He will, he will convince King Xerxes to issue an irrevocable decree that the Jews, this time all of them, not, not, not four, but all of them, will be executed. So this thing's building. It's, it's now anti-Semitism against all of them, just because you're breathing air and you're Jewish. Um, Haman wouldn't be satisfied to just kill Mordecai, one Jew. He wanted to kill them all. And I want you to, as I go through this tonight, I'm going to keep coming back to right now. What I'm seeing scattering around the world right now is this same spirit of Haman. Kill them all. Why? It doesn't matter. Just kill them all. And when you figure out why that's happening, you will see the end and what, what happens in the end. So let's go to Esther 3 verse 1. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Now I'm going to get into what Agagite means in a minute. He, he promoted Haman over all the other nobles, making Haman the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. Why? Because the king, Xerxes, had commanded that Haman be shown this level of respect, okay? But Mordecai, he's Jewish, refused to bow down and show Haman respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still Mordecai refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate. Will he just say, oh, he's a nut, don't bother, leave him alone. Will he tolerate Mordecai's conduct since Mordecai, here it comes, here comes the clue, had told him, told them that he was a Jew. See, this was a secret for a long time, but now the secret's out. And when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he is filled with rage. He had, Haman, had learned that Mordecai's nationality, he knows he's Jewish, so he decided it's not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. So in the month of April, during the 12th year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast. Here comes Purim. Lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim to determine the best day and month to take action. Now, what's the action? We're going to set a day that we're going to execute all the Jewish people inside of Persia. And that day selected was March 7th, near, nearly a year later. So there's a time gap, almost a year time gap between when they cast the lot to where they would actually begin the executions. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, there, are, there is a certain race of people, there's the Jews, scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Now this is really important. How does a scattered people 
not get assimilated into the culture. How is that possible? Generationally. You know, we, we've got people in America that have come from everywhere in the world. In fact, America is everywhere in the world. And yet they all, at least it used to be like this, they all assimilated into a common American culture. They all assimilated in, you know, into a culture called America. But one of the things that made the Jewish people unique is no matter where they were scattered, and God scattered them everywhere, they retained their identity as a, a unique, separate group of people. They never assimilated into the culture in which they were scattered into. Well, why do you think that is? It's a God thing. They kept not just their religion, they, they kept their identity. They never lost their identity. And do you think that people did that or do you think God was doing that? See, I think God was doing that all along. They who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws, these Jewish laws are different. Yeah, they are. From any other people and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. Actually, no, that wasn't true. They only refused to obey the laws of the king that violated their laws. Their, their God laws. So it is not in the interest of the king to let them live. Whoa, so much for civil rights. If it pleases the king, issue a decree that they, the Jewish people, be destroyed. And I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver. Yeehaw. There's your politicians right there. And I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do as you see fit. So on April 17th, the king's secretaries were summoned and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated it. It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors and the representative um, representative provinces and the nobles of each province in their own scripts and language. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messenger into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order, here it comes, that all the Jews, are you ready? Young, old, including women and children, must be killed slaughtered, annihilated on a single day. Hmm. This was scheduled to happen on March the 7th of the next year. They put it on the calendar. Jewish slaughter day. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. You talking about your motivation? Kill them and you get their stuff. You get their wealth. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples so that they would be ready to do their duty. This sounds like a moss on the appointed day. What's your duty? What's your duty? Men, women, children, execute them all. Why? Because somebody in charge said to. I kind of feel like we're reading a historical shadow of a current event. Do their duty on an appointed day. Verse 15. At the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers, and it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. And then the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa fell into confusion. Now, now let me remind you of something. King Xerxes signed this, sent it out. He has no idea his wife is Jewish. He has no clue. Now, let me give you something about Haman. Haman was an Agagite. 
And if you know anything about Agagites, it would go back to King Agag. And King Agag is the reason that King Saul, the Jewish, the Israel King Saul lost his kingdom. Because he refused. God had told King Saul, I want you to eradicate all of the Amalekites. The Amalekites are where King Agag came from. Amalekites, okay? Listen carefully. Why did God tell Saul to rid the earth of the Amalekites? Do you know where the Amalekites came from? Esau. Jacob and Esau. They were in a war in the womb. Jacob and Esau. This war is spiritual by nature. So what did God have such a problem? In fact, there's a quote and says, God says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. God said that. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. There's been a spiritual war, not just in Isaac and Ishmael, but even in Jacob and Esau, there was a war. Jacob's descendants became the Amalekites, not Jacob, uh, Esau's descendants became the Amalekites. Now listen, this is why it's so important for you to understand this connection. Why did God years later tell King Saul, I want you to go and wipe out the Amalekites, including King Agag, the ruler? What did the Amalekites do? When God took Moses and all the two million Israelites and led them out of the wilderness toward the promised land, do you know what the Amalekites did? They didn't attack Israel up front. They went around behind and killed the stragglers, the women, the children, and the old people. Wow. That's what they did. And because they did that, God says, I will exterminate them. And that was the kingdom was lost by King Saul for not doing what God told him to do. Now, now listen, Saul had defeated the Amalekites, but he kept King Agag. Remember? He, he was still standing there when Samuel shows up. And what did Samuel do? What did the man of God do? He took his sword and pierced him. Killed him himself. Why? Because God had said to him. What was the crime of the Amalekites? They hated the Jews. They hated. They hated them. They came across against him. You say, but they came from Esau. He's kind of in the family. Well, not really. The tree has a fork in it. The family came through Jacob. The family did not come through Esau. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Why well, give you all of that? Haman is an Agagite. He is an Amalekite. He is from the spiritual battle of Jacob and Esau. So, with that in mind, if Hanukkah, which was last week's topic, is the celebration of God's power to purify, rededicate the Jerusalem temple, then Purim is a celebration of God's power to protect and preserve the Jewish people. The temple, the presence of God, the light of God in Jerusalem, and now the people of God in Jerusalem. Can God protect the temple? Can God protect the people? Is God able to, when everybody is around them to destroy, can God, will God come in and protect? Well, Hanukkah was the, the temple. Purify it, reestablish God's presence, the light. And this is the people. Will there be any people to go to the temple? If Haman does his job, there's not going to be any Jews. They'll all be dead, right? In all three of these cases that I gave you tonight, Daniel all the way up to Esther, being Jewish brought an irrevocable decree of death. Why? Just because you are. Didn't matter what you did or didn't matter what you didn't do. God intervened in all three cases. You can see the reason for the Feast of Purim. But tonight's question is this. What about Jesus? In every one of these sessions, 
I have been able to show you that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of every feast and every appointed time. But what about Purim? Can you see Jesus in Purim? Purim is a celebration of God's faithfulness to protect his chosen people. Can God be trusted to protect his chosen people? Yes. There is a spirit war and Satan wants to destroy the work of God and those who belong to God. The whole Jacob and Esau, the Ishmael and Isaac, it's all a spiritual war. Yes, yes. But the hatred of the Jews and Christians, let's add ourselves to the story today, it is real. Just like the Old Testament, Babylon and Persia, it's, it's real. This is real. So when I keep talking about this spiritual war, I oftentimes wonder how many people are really getting it. This is a spiritual battle. This is demonic power at work. What you're seeing tonight, this Haman is under the, a demonic spirit. A demonic spirit has entered this man. And he is carrying out this, this decree to execute an entire race of people. Why? Because he's under a demonic power. What's going on in the Middle East right now? You saw what happened on October 7th. It is a demonic spirit. And it will not stop with the Jewish people. It will come for the Christians after it gets the Jews. Do not be deceived. This hatred of Jews and Christians today is real. Where does the hatred come from? I read a story yesterday, and, and I'm, let me just give you two examples to try to drive home this, the demonic spirit that is at work in this story and today. One is um, in France. Some of you, if you're paying attention, there, there's a group of people in France going around marking the houses of Jewish people. They're putting a star of David. You might say, well, well, so what? That's what they did in Poland and Germany. And they marked your house so they could come and get you. And this is today. Well, why, what did those people do? It's because they're Jewish. And, and here's the second story. They, they showed, um, they told a story, showed some video about when on October 7th, when Hamas comes in, they, they killed the parents and they took this baby and put the baby in the oven. And they turned it up. And they forced the mother to listen to the baby screaming in the oven as it died and then killed the mother. Now, once you get this, they put them in the oven. What do you think that is representative of? That's World War II. That's the ovens. That's the German, that's, that's Hitler and, and the ovens. What's the marking of the houses? It's the same thing. It's still here. It hasn't changed. Where's this coming from? I'm reading you tonight, Purim. Where's it coming from? It didn't start with Purim. It goes back to Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, Esau. Where does it come from? So let's begin to answer the spiritual question. And I need to give you a reminder. Jesus is Jewish. In the middle of all of this, maybe you just need to stop and say, Jesus is Jewish. <sighs> I understand. I understand the spiritual battle. He's Jewish. And what does Jewish Jesus say? John 15, if the whole world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you if as one of its own, if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. You remember what they accused Jews of? They always live by themselves and they operate under their own laws and they don't really go along with us. We don't like them. What? The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you're no longer part of the world. I choose you to come out of the world. What did the Jews do that made them enemies? You came, they came out of the world. What's the church supposed to be? Out of the world. Different. 
We don't assimilate into the world's culture. We are a peculiar people. We're different. And when the church becomes worldly, look out. Can God keep his covenant promise if all the Jews are dead? Now, here's a, here's a linchpin tonight. Why the spiritual war? I'm convinced that Satan thinks he can win. I'm convinced that Satan actually thinks he can defeat God. He, he does. He's delusional maybe, but he thinks he can defeat God. And here's why I say that. God made a covenant with Abraham. Listen carefully. Everything goes down to this covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham. What was the covenant? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through you. If Satan can stop the Jews, he thinks he can stop the covenant. And if he can stop the Jews, if there are no Jews, God can't keep his promise. And he can't bless the world. And God, you aren't really God. So stop the Jews. Kill them all. If you kill them all, how is that covenant going to be fulfilled? That all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Satan is the ruler. So let's... I know, I know this is difficult. I know it is. I, it's difficult for me too. But I'm going to say it. Satan is the ruler of this world. It's not the United Nations. It's not the President of the United States. It, it's, it's, it's Satan. And he thinks he can defeat God. And he's doing his really best job to do so. Jesus is the king of heaven. Satan is right now the reigning king of the earth. Are you with me? some people look at me like, no, I don't really believe that. Okay. You're going to have to get to the truth. Jesus is the king of heaven and he's soon, I believe soon, he's going to be the reigning king of heaven and earth. And I believe that's coming soon. And Jesus himself acknowledges the spirit war in one of his final prayers to the father before he goes to the cross. So he, Jesus is, t if, you, if you doubt me, it's okay, but don't doubt Jesus. Here's what he says. Now my soul is deeply troubled. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And he knows about the spirit war. My soul is deeply troubled. And should I say to my father, Father, save me from the cross. Save me from this hour. But this is the very reason I came, was to go to the cross. Father, bring glory to your name. And then a voice from heaven spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name and I will do it again. And when the crowd, <clears throat> when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder while others declared an angel had spoken to him. And then Jesus said to them, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come. When Satan, the ruler of this world, Jesus said, what? Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up on the cross from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. Jesus declared in that text, Satan is the current ruler of this world. So let's go to John 16. But now, Jesus again, I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. Why is that a big deal? I want to make sure y'all get this. Why is that a big deal? Because when Jesus is in the flesh, Jesus is in the flesh. He can just be one guy in one place. But don't struggle with that. I mean, he bound himself to the flesh. 
But when he ascends to the right hand of the Father and he comes back in the person of the Spirit, he can be everywhere all the time. And that's why he's saying, it's better for you that I can come back as a spirit. And when I come back in the spirit, I'll be in all of you and I'll be in all kinds of places at the same time. So this is to your advantage. Verse 8, and when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is what? The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because, here he comes again, the ruler of this world has already been judged. God has already issued the decree. He just hasn't announced the day of execution. Righteousness is available, but know this, judgment's coming. Why? There is an irrevocable decree that is issued by God. Now listen, in all three of those cases, listen carefully. Here's where I'm going to connect Purim to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Mordecai, there was an irrevocable decree of death issued by the king. All three, right? Irrevocable decree. And yet, you ready? I got goosebumps right now. And I haven't even told you yet. They all lived. Please hear me. They all lived. An irrevocable decree of death issued by a demonic power, and they all survived. Ready? This thing is going to flip. It's going to do this. It's going to turn over. I want to show it to you. What's the irrevocable decree of God? Sin equals death. It's irrevocable decree of God. You sin, you die. Are you with me? Stay with me. Do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus in Purim? Hold on, hold on. The lot of death has fallen upon us. Not by a, a demon delivered it to the earth, sin. But the decree of death, the irrevocable decree of death sentence was given by God. The lot of death has fallen on all of us. We've all sinned. We're all going to die at the appointed time. In Hebrews 9.27, a lot of people quote this verse. It says, and just as each person is destined to die, it is our destiny, our destination. As each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice. Can you see Jesus in Purim? So Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with sin. When he comes back, he's not dealing with sin. He's bringing salvation to those who are eagerly waiting for him to deliver them, to rescue them. Can he save his chosen people? Yeah. The irrevocable decree has been issued by God. Let me say it again. An irrevocable decree issued by God, sin equals death. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are going to die. You're going to die. Is God, can he undo that which he has spoken? No. You're going to die. The lot of death has fallen on all of us. It is an irrevocable decree of God. Romans 3.23. Here's just the truth. For everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And I'll ask you again. Can you see Jesus in the Purim? Jesus came to deliver us from the irrevocable decree of death from God the Father. He came for one reason. To deliver us from the decree, the irrevocable decree of death. Well, it's, if it's irrevocable, how can he deliver us? 
That's where you'll find Purim. By becoming sin and paying off our sin debt and making peace with God, the lot fell on a Jewish man. One. The lot, the irrevocable call to die, fell on a Jewish man named Jesus. Him. It was supposed to fall on me. It fell on him. He received the lot that was mine. Let me read it. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Talking about Messiah. 700 years before he arrives. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing about his physical attributes that would attract us to him. He was despised. Do you see Purim? He's a Jewish man. He was despised and he's rejected. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. He didn't have any sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. And yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. The lot fell on him, a Jewish man. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth, unjustly condemned. Does that sound like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Mordecai? He was unjustly condemned. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a cramp criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. It was the Lord's good plan to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Those are brothers and sisters. He will enjoy a long life and will... He will enjoy a long life and the, the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many. Because of his experience, because of the cross, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear their sins. I will give him the honor of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. The lot fell on Jesus. At the appointed time, Jesus went to the cross. The lot fell on him. He accepted the lot of God. Jesus went voluntarily. He accepted the lot of God that would save us from certain death. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. The father asked his son to die in our place as the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And he said, yes. It was the plan of God from the beginning. Matthew 26, Jesus says, don't you realize I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen? The lot falls on me, Jesus said. 
This was the plan of God that would take the title deed of earth back from Satan. Now, let me, let me tie all this together. Listen carefully. There's a spiritual war that's been raging from the Garden of Eden. From the Garden of Eden. And I want you to think about it in this way. Um, when Satan duped Adam, Adam had in his possession the title deed of earth. Read the scripture. God had given him dominion and authority over the earth. And in that moment, when he sinned against God, he handed the title deed of planet earth to Satan, the adversary of God. And Satan became the ruler of this world. How is God going to get it back? How's, how's anybody going to get it back out of his hand? Do you know? That which was lost to Adam would be restored through the last Adam. And I want, you to, I want you to put this in your mind tonight. I am convinced without a shadow of doubt that God will have his Garden of Eden again. He will have it in full measure. The last Adam will have his Garden of Eden in full measure. He's going to get it back. Jesus was God's gift to mankind, the only gift sufficient to pay off our sin debt. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me ask you, why did they hate Daniel so? Why did they hate Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so? Why did they hate Mordecai and the other Jews so Can the Jews survive? I saw another thing last night. I was watching TV last night. Actually, just the news, not TV. And watching the news, and um, I, I'm sure some of y'all saw it. Uh, there's a, 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 an airline that flies from Tel Aviv, Israel, and it flies into Russia. And it lands in Russia. And what's on it? All the, every passenger on the plane are Jews who are coming back home. Back home. They live in Russia. Jews living in Russia. And they're landing in Russia. And what happens? News goes out around the, the Russian airport that there's a plane load of Jews arriving at the airport from Israel. What happens? A mob surrounds the airport, breaks through the barrier, and tries to get to the plane. The Russian soldiers, to their credit, the Russian soldiers protected the Jews from the onslaught. What were they going to do? They were going to kill every Jew on the plane. Why? Does this make any sense? It doesn't unless you see the spiritual battle. Can you see Jesus in this story? Here's the connection. I told you that Jesus, the last Adam, is going to have his Garden of Eden. He's going to get back the title deed from Satan. He's going to get it back. I want to show you where I know that happened. Revelation 5.1. Then I, John, saw a scroll in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. Now, this is God the Father. He's got a scroll in his hand. It is the ownership and dominion of the earth. It's in his hand. There was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll. It's sealed with seven seals. That which Adam lost, God now holds ultimate dominion. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and, on the scroll and to open the scroll? If this scroll is the title deed giving dominion of earth, what is it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. You know what that really means? That means no one could take away from Satan that which had been given to him by Adam. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth. And then I, John, began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Why? Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah. There's one. He's going to have his Garden of Eden. There is one. The heir to David's throne has won the victory. He 
is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirits of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. And he, this bloody lamb, steps forward and he takes the scroll from the right hand of the one on the throne. The last Adam takes the scroll that was lost by the first Adam from the Father on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. They sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and to open it, for you were slaughtered. Why is he worthy? For you were, you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Do you see the Abraham covenant in that sentence? Through you, I will bless every nation on the earth. This is it. This is it. Through you. What did he say? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal. You were slaughtered. Your blood has ransomed people from every, for, for God, from every tribe, language, people, nation. And you have caused them, these blessed people all over the earth, you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And here comes the Garden of Eden. And they will reign on this earth. On this earth. On this earth, he will have his Garden of Eden. He will. If I keep on, I'm going to get excited. <laughs> the Feast of Lots, the Feast of Purim, is a preview of what I call the Great Reversal. The future day when the first will be last and the last will be first. And I want to tell you, that's how the book of Esther ends. And that's where Purim comes from. The final three verses sum it up. Esther 10, verse 1 through 3. King Xerxes imposed a tribute throughout his empire, even to the distant coastlands. His great achievements and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, this Jew that was that Haman planned to execute <clears throat> on a gallows has now been elevated to the highest position in the land. The greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted and recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Medo and Persia. Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister. Stay with me. With authority next to that of King Xerxes himself, he was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem because he continued to work for the good of his people and speak up for the welfare of all their descendants. The great reversal is coming at the appointed time. If you read the story, Haman and Mordecai traded places. The gallows that was planned for Mordecai was given instead to Haman. Jesus in Jerusalem and Satan in prison. Listen, in the future, there is an event that is our appointed time. It's already been announced. Jesus will be in Jerusalem and Satan will be in prison. Do you see it? Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem. Satan is going to be in prison. The ruler of this world will be unseated. Those who belong to Satan in this world will be cast out of God's presence. And those who belong to Christ will reign with Jesus for a thousand years. And yes, he will have his Garden of Eden. The great reversal is coming at the appointed time. How do I know? Revelation 20. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain is in his hand. It's an appointed time. 
He seized the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and he locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. No more demonic spirits on the earth. No more. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast. They had not worshipped his statue, nor have they received and accepted his mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they, these martyred saints, they all came to life again and they reigned with Jesus for a thousand years. He will have his garden of Eden. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. And blessed are holy and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. You know, the question I ask multiple times tonight is, will the Jews survive? Listen carefully. Will the covenant of God made with Abraham survive through you? All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Will the Jews survive? Will the covenant survive? I proclaim this truth to you tonight. They will be the only survivors. They will be the only survivors. The children of God, the children of Abraham, the blood-bought children of the Most High God will be the only survivors of the spirit war. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Purim. Thank you, Lord, that you protect your people. You are the, the protector. You are the deliverer. You are our shield, our strong tower. Father, tonight much is going on in Israel we don't understand. But we know that ultimately you will fight for Israel. You will deliver your people. You will protect your church. And the covenant that you made with Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through what you are doing through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jesus, the church, the Holy Spirit. It is unstoppable. And those who will trust in you in these last days will survive this spirit war and experience this Garden of Eden that our King will bring to this present earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.